let me get all of this wrapped up in a big old package so we're all on the same page. We've been dealing with the Corinthians here for a number of years. Um, truth of the matter is, and I'm not going to go back through all of it, there was four letters to the Corinthians. Okay, there's one letter that we don't have. It was the first letter. The Corinthians responded to the Apostle Paul with a number of questions. That is what we have now as 1 Corinthians. And if you look at it, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, he begins saying, now concerning the things that you asked me. Okay, up until that time, the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, he is beating on them for their arrogance and their boasting and their prideful conduct that is shaming the body of Christ. Between that and 2 Corinthians, Paul makes a surprise trip to Corinth. And how he is treated there breaks his heart. They shame him. And yet those in the church who are truly saved do nothing to defend him. So he returns back to Ephesus and he writes a letter called the severe letter. It is delivered by Titus. All right. And Paul calls him out on it. Now, if I read 1 Corinthians, that seems severe. And so the severe letter must have been a dandy. But he called him out on it. And what was happening was, is that they had opened themselves up to false teachers, false doctrine, and they were following it around and was allowing for the corruption inside the body of Christ, the church. And yet, even when Paul, in a surprise visit, that didn't do anything, they took the sides of the false. Titus has come back to Paul and has said that they have changed. And Paul they are wanting the relationship with Paul restored. Chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians shows that that's what has happened. They have now are one. They're back on the right page. They have dealt with the error that was in the church and the restoration of all the heartache has taken place. So what the apostle does is what every Christian should do. Once I have that relationship restored, it is time to move on to the important things. Okay, and next on his list is chapter 8. And that's where he starts with the word, now, brethren. Okay, he uses that particle in the Greek term to say, I want to speak of something else. Now that we are back to one, brothers and sisters, co-laborers for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, let's get on to what we're doing. All right, so that's how the Corinthian letters lay out. The first what you have and I have as 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter. All right? That letter shows the corruption that was in the church. They were To the point that they were perverting spiritual gifts. Why? Well, because pride had taken over and they wanted to be show-offs. I want you to look at me. Okay? That's how bad it had gotten. Therefore, when he made this surprise trip to try to confront some of this, and he was treated the way he was. It broke his heart, and he said he wept many tears. We have been looking, and over the last few months, on what God says about money. And one of the things that you and I have to understand, regardless of what the money is, whether it's a, a rupee, a ruble, a peso, a dollar, God made it. The ability for wealth is God designed. All right? The ability to attain wealth 
is God's. All right. So when we sing, as we sang, great is thy faithfulness, you know, he could have put us on the moon. All right. That'd have been a little tough to get rich here. All right. But he put us on a place on this planet where there is wealth amazingly. And it is our responsibility. So over the last few months, we were looking at the morality of money and we understood that money has no morals. But money does show the morality of the person and how they use it. Okay, and I hear a lot, you know, the love of money is, is, is all kinds of evil. That's where it well, it isn't money. It is the love of money that causes you the heartache and the problems. All right. So when you look at money, the morality of it, it ha- it's morally neutral, but it does expose the character. But there is a love for money and a love of money. And there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with taking your money and enjoying it and enjoying the things that are around here. There's nothing wrong with that. God made this that we can look around at it and give him thanks for what he has done. Okay, we looked at acquiring money. How do we acquire money? And there are multiple ways to acquire money. You can invest it. uh, You can gain interest on it. uh, But the majority of the time you must work for it. Okay, and that's always just makes everybody happy. Let's just go work. Okay, but you understand that God has given you the ability to work and God gives you the money to use after you work. And that was the last things that we looked at was the use of money. Then we drop back into this text and we see the Macedonians. Okay, the Macedonians was an extraordinarily poor part of the Roman Empire. Uh, Their number one manufacturing or number one industry was mining and was silver and gold. Uh, Anything that came out that was silver and gold, the Romans took. But they were gracious enough to allow the Macedonians to do the work of mining. There was also smelters in that area. And they would take the ore out and turn it into ingots. And uh, the Romans thought that was really good. And so they taxed that extraordinarily heavy. So that they could get profit off of what the smelters did. Right? One of the things that you will see about the Roman Empire is that they were tax happy. Rome wanted the money. They wanted the revenues of everything that they conquered. And they would tell you, we will give you Roman peace as long as you give us taxes. Okay? Everywhere Rome conquered, you will find that the economy in that area dipped. They would take the product and the resources of any given area and it, all of, if it had buildable things, uh, they would take that and transport it back to Rome. So when you look at the area of Macedonia, which would be the northern half of the Greek peninsula, you look at that and you can say it was very poor, very, very poor. And yet the Macedonians, and we looked at this last week, uh, understood that by the grace of God... They were saved and they were but pilgrims passing through and their hearts were not set on the things of this world. Now, I want us to remember something because, um, you know, I make fun that, you know, Christians just love to hear about the preacher talk about giving. 
So over the course of all of these messages, I've made an adamant claim in showing you that whether you go to Genesis or Revelations, money's in the picture. Jesus taught more on money than any single topic in his gospel ministry. Because money does reflect our character. But it goes back a few years. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 through 11. Deuteronomy is the second law. That's what the word means. And this is for Israel when they moved into the country. These are things that you must take care of. Because I'm going to give you this land that I have promised you. Here's how in 15 he's speaking. Verse 7. If there is a poor man with you, one of you brothers, one of your brothers, okay, that would be a Jew, an Israelite, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile to the poor brother and give him nothing that he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and all of your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother and to your needy and poor in your land. Okay? You know what that is. I can say it a little quicker. You are your brother's keeper. That's what he's saying. And he says, if you, and he's talking in context on the Sabbath year, but that'd be the seventh year. But he, what he's saying is, is that if you think, well, I'll just wait until the seventh year and do it, uh, that's a sin. All right. But he says more about this. The book of Psalms. Chapter 41. Psalms 41, first three verses. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The word helpless here is actually the poor. He who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall be blessed upon the earth and do not give him over to the desires of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed, in his illness. You restore him to health. You go on over to the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 31. Proverbs 14, 31. He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Chapter 19 of the book of Proverbs, verse 17. The one who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord, 
And he will repay him for his good deed. Do we believe the Bible? You see what's going on here, right? You give to the poor. You honor God. And he will make good to you. Your giving. You believe that? Chapter 21 of Proverbs. Verse 13. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Now there's what I call a negative promise. Alright? You don't give, guess what? Don't come crying to me. Chapter 22. Beginning at verse 2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. But the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. Train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, and the rod of his fury will perish. But he who is generous will be blessed. He who gives some of his food to the poor. So you can see that in God's economy... He is adamant about dealing with the poor. He has laws dealing with the poor. He says that the person who does deal with the poor and helps the poor, guess what? I will take care of them. There will be a reward. Now then, you can sit there for a second if you want. And you can say, well, see, man, he's just it's Old Testament stuff. That's Israel. Now, I'm not Israel. We're the church. That's good. I thought you would think that. So go to Philippians chapter 4. Okay, Philippians is one of the three churches that makes up the churches in Macedonia. You have the church that is in Berea. You have the church that is in Thessalonica. And you have the Philippian church. Those are all in Macedonia. And when the Apostle Paul say, look at the grace of God and how the Macedonians gave. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says... Now, (laughs) this is one of those verses that I'm going to ask all of you. Do you believe this? Because this, now remember, the church in Philippi is part of the Macedonians. We all say we believe the Bible. Okay. Well, you're going to have to ask yourself, what do you believe about this? And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But remember something about the church in Philippi. They were urging and begging Paul that they could give more out of their Poverty. 
And Paul writes them back in this statement and gives them a promise that is beyond understanding, if you're really honest with you. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You're God's child. He'll take care of you. But you remember when we looked at it in Luke, Luke says it will be pressed down, overflowing and shaken, right? To the measure that you give. If you don't feel like yours is shaken, pressed down and overflowing, you might want to look at the first part. What is it you give? What is it you give? And you know, I hear people say, well, you know, I tithe. Zacchaeus didn't. When Zacchaeus came to salvation, what did he give? Half of everything he had. That don't fit the tithe, does it? Then he said, anybody that I've cheated, I will pay them four four times back more. Yet the rich young ruler came. And what must I do to be saved? He says, keep the law. And he says, I have. Such a child. Then sell everything you got and give it to the poor. What was his response? He was very wealthy. He walked away. Couldn't do it. Listen, this is a foundation of confidence that we should have as Christians. Let me tell you something. If you fall on financial hard times and you think that it's easier for me to hold back my money from God until I get back on my feet, you just made a tragic mistake. You have just made a tragic mistake. Because you just said aloud, I don't trust this. Okay? It should have an effect on what we give. Uh, you guys know I love history. And I, I've been doing some research on uh, Europe uh, right after World War II. Okay? So basically what you have is a, a, a whole continent that is devastated. I mean, you and I can't comprehend. I mean, there's, there's no running water. There's no electricity. Uh, nobody, I mean, people got little garden things here. Any food supplies that are coming in are being militaried in, and the military has given them out. But one of the other effects that I've been reading about on, on what happened here, and we all have our views, okay, you know, the destruction, and, you know, you asked for it and all the rest of it. One of the things that I found fascinating was the number of orphans. They could never really get a solid count on them, but they know that it was in the millions. Children. Okay? And so they had set up camps to bring all of the orphans in, and then they would have nurses and medics from the army, and they were all going in and taking care of these orphans. But they run into a phenomenon. They were giving these kids three meals a day, okay? And they got games, they had got them some water, they got everything going on, but they run into a phenomenon. And it realized that at night, the kids would not sleep. Okay, 
And so every morning you got a bunch of kids who have been up all night. And so I mean, you know, if you've got kids, you know what that's like. Okay, and they couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And this went on for a few months. So here's what they did. They got ready to put those kids to bed at night. They would have people come through all of the dorms and they'd give them a loaf of bread. Okay? Just a little bitty loaf of bread. I seen a picture of it. It wasn't about like that. Just like a little loaf of bread except it wasn't sliced. About like that. And every one of them children got a loaf of bread. And they went to bed with that loaf of bread and they would all sleep through the night because they knew they had food the next morning. Years during the war, they never knew if they were going to have food the next morning. So they wouldn't sleep at night. They were nervous about it. But if they gave that little child a loaf of bread, the child would go to sleep holding on to that loaf of bread because they knew that they would have at least that loaf of bread in the morning. Now, I read this out of Philippians 4, and it says, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we'd better be hanging on that like a loaf of bread. There's nothing to fear for tomorrow. Every need shall be met. That should be comforting. And it should have an amazing impact on our giving. At the same time, we can do that in complete confidence. If God asks us to take what we had planned for the future and invest it in His kingdom, will He replace it? You know what that means? You can go to sleep with a little loaf of bread with comfort and confidence to know that tomorrow the Lord will provide. This chapter 8 shows us a group of Christians who live like that. They gave generously in the present. In the present. Back to 2 Corinthians 8. If you just kind of peruse through that, you'll see it. Verses 10 and 11, I give my opinion on this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, this is the collection for Jerusalem, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11, but now finish doing it also. So that just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. You should complete it. You should complete it. Okay? Now listen, he's using the Macedonians. You've got to understand this place about the Macedonians. Not only are they taxed and poor, but uh, Brutus had attacked the Macedonians. Caesar had attacked the Macedonians. Antiochus had attacked the Macedonians. So other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of peace, love, and tranquility going on. And you have to add on top of that the fact that the church is a target. 
So you've got the Romans attacking the Greeks on a regular basis. You've got a tax that is... It will never allow you out of a recession. All right? And everything you do is a burden. Then you get saved and everybody hates you. Other than that, it shouldn't be too tough. If you go back to Philippians... Again, church in Philippi was one of the Macedonian churches. Chapter 2, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow soldier, who is your messenger and minister to my needs, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard he was sick. He was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, not only... Him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. It's a tough neighborhood. Tough stuff going on there. Chapter 4, we've already read, but if you read in the context, first part of it there, beginning uh, at verse 15 and following. You yourselves know, Philippians... That at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek a gift for myself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Your account will be increased by your giving. He preached the gospel first in Philippi. Remember? The Philippian jailer. They run him out of there. He went to Thessalonica. They run him out of there. He went to Berea. And they went after him in Berea. And the whole time the Philippians are helping him. They were giving. And they were giving sacrificially. They were giving generously. These poor, poor churches. The giving is because of God's grace. And that's where the motivation came from. Because they had seen God's grace. We like to sing about it. As long as I don't have to give about it. We can sing it. It's amazing grace. The grace of God in the heart of a true devoted believer will produce a generosity that is not normal. You know, it's... You know, I, I watch all of these telephones and these, they, we do these benefit concerts and all the rest of it. And they bring all of these wonderful performers out there. And, you know, they raise a couple of million dollars. And you say, wow, look what they did. Well, let me tell you something. Bruce Springsteen's net worth is $4.5 billion. But he performed for free. Why don't he give half? You can't give half. Why? He doesn't understand the grace of God. You know, I watch people who say, you know what? I've got a hundred million dollars. I'm going to give to the church ten million. And you would say, whoa, that's not sacrificial. You want to be sacrificial? You got a hundred million? Give ninety. You think you can live on 10? 
And the only way that ever happens is the realization of a human being says, I understand the grace of God. That's what the Macedonians were doing. Which brings me to my second point. Giving, true biblical giving, is not based on our circumstances. Okay? If we hit the lotto or we get an inheritance or, you know, all of a sudden I just have a flush with cash, I tend to be generous. That's not biblical giving. Biblical giving says even when you're dirt poor and you've met the needs of your family, then give. Give. Okay, why did Jesus say that the widow gave more than those who were giving of the riches? And she gave a half a cent. Why? Because she gave it all. It's all she had and she gave it. Well, that just don't sound right. She's just wasting her money. Well, you know, she's putting it into the temple treasury and you have to say, man, you know, the There was a bunch of crooks running that operation. But you know what was amazing about it? Who was watching her? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you know what? I'm convinced that he's really concerned about it. I mean, when he had to pay his preaching tax, he told Peter to go get a quarter out of the fish's mouth. Pay our taxes. Should be enough in there to pay your taxes too, Peter. True biblical giving is not based on our circumstances. And it is giving that even in the middle of a great ordeal or suffering, they still continue to give. How many of us in this room, when the times got tough, withheld from the Lord? That's good. Nobody raised their hands. I feel more comfortable now. We have a tendency when we... Run a little short at the end of the month. Jesus to understand. Okay. Or you can be like me. Try to go fishing and catch a fish with a silver dollar in it. That's never worked for me. The Macedonian church. Hard times had no effect on their giving. None whatsoever. You know. In, in Acts 17, you can see a lot of this is going on. The Jews were coming after them. They were in a recession. That was the economic style of the area. They were paying heavy taxes. And you know what? They had that thing going through their head. Well, I'm just not really sure what the government's going to do. The Macedonians didn't even care. Didn't even care. What will be ahead of us in the future? Oh, it's easy. Philippians 4.19. God will meet our needs. But this great ordeals and affliction. If you go back to your text there, that verse 2, that in great ordeal of affliction. It's an amazing stretch of of the Greek right there. 
where you see the word great, that's the root word that we get mega from. It means massive, grand, large. Okay? So it was a massive, large, great ordeal. Ordeal. Okay? The word ordeal there is a... It has to do with testing the metal in a furnace. So there was a great furnace of testing. A great time of suffering to see what the metal is made of. What is the purity of it? And it was massive. I run into this a lot. um, This kind of terminology. Uh, One of my favorite churches in all of history. Chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians 14 and 15. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Okay, now, I've gone through the churches in Judea. What a happy bunch of people. And you got a congregation nearing between 10 and 15,000 people, and nobody's got a job. Okay, for all of you who want a mega church, careful what you ask for. Make sure you have an employed mega church. And people were selling their possessions to meet the needs of this massive congregation. And he says, you became imitators of the churches of God that are in Judea. Well, you know what that is, right? You're dirt poor. And everybody's mad at you. But you became imitators. Look what he says. For you also endured the same sufferings of the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. Okay, the Jews were persecuting the church in Jerusalem. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men. So what is he saying here? The church in Thessalonica was enduring the same thing that the church in Jerusalem was. They were being persecuted. They were being arrested. And some were losing their lives. Look back just a little bit. uh, Chapter 1, verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Anybody here receive the word of the Lord in tribulation? Then you're not an imitator of the church in Jerusalem. Chapter 3, verses 3 and following. Okay, speaking of Timothy's encouragement. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions for you yourselves... Know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. So it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to you to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would have been in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you 
always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brother, in all of our distress and afflictions, we are comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live. If you stand firm in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying earnestly that we may see your face and complete what is lacking in your faith. Pain and affliction. And you're doing the same thing. You became imitators of us. Of us. It was difficult. The Macedonians were suffering. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all of your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Macedonian church. Chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. These churches were in a great ordeal. You've got to understand these things. When he says they beg to give more in the support of the saints, you've got to understand this was not the Hollywood Boulevard church. These people were hurting. They were taxed. They were in a recession and they were being persecuted. Their metal was being tested by fire. A great testing. A great ordeal. A mega trial and you know what I don't know anybody stands up in the morning and says bring it on and yet James tells us what count it all joy when you fall into various trials we do well with that don't we I remember uh, I had eaten, and a little footnote, you can make a, a, a remark. I was in Zminka in Russia, and they had fed, they had a potluck. I don't know if it was the third Sunday of the month or what, but uh, they had a potluck, and they made this wonderful bowl of crab salad. Okay, just warning, do not eat seafood in Russia. I don't care who made it. Because I did. And it went down wonderful. And it came back violently. It was awful. We had this long drive of five guys packed in this lead beady car. And I felt like I was going to spontaneously combust at any given moment. Okay. And I made a note. No seafood in Russia. Okay, that was the closest thing to an affliction I ever had. And I can honestly say I was not counting it all joy. 
All I needed was, I need a bathroom (laughs) and an extended period of time to be left alone. In these trials and tribulations and suffering, the mega fire that comes to test the quality of the metal, it will always, 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 always reveal the spiritual character. What you do with money is the greatest single barometer of your spiritual condition. That's what the Bible says. You can see it. And you know what's amazing? These three churches that we know of in Macedonia, they shined brightly through all of it. These churches were reduced to poverty and they were hurting. They were had crushing taxes and you add to that persecution because the other word that you see there great ordeal okay that's that testing of the metal the the mega fire testing of affliction it's philipsis okay it's used in secular greek to speak about the crushing of grapes and he uses it in the spiritual realm because when you use philipsis it has to do with the pressure that crushes it entirely So if a person is going through afflictions, when you read that word in your New Testament, you can understand that it is a pressure that crushes mentally. It is a pressure that crushes physically. It is a pressure that crushes spiritually. Because when you crush a grape, there's just not a lot left. And that's why he uses that term, philipsis. So you have poverty and physical affliction. You know what's amazing to me about this? This church here in Macedonia has been given in the churches of Macedonia. I want to make known to you the grace of God that is in those churches. You know what is the most amazing thing to me in 2014 when I read that? And I go back through and get my little Greek words out and think, man, and that, this stuff here is, you know, mega fire testing to test the metal, metal and the character of this thing. And they're being crushed both physically and mentally and spiritually. You know what is amazing about that? You've got to deal with the Roman government. Okay, and, and, and they tax. I mean, they had road taxes. We call them turnpikes. But they had road taxes. You know, you, certain intersections, there's a guy in a booth and you had to pay the tax to get through the booth. Okay, I'm going to tell you what the rates were. Because I found what the rates were, and it, it, it would have a revolt if I told you. Okay? Do you know what is the most amazing thing about these three churches to me? There's no poor, pitiful me. That's amazing to me. You think about us today. How many of us can sit and say, well, we have our own problems. We're in a recession right now. The unemployment rate is higher than they say it is. Have you gone and got a gallon of gas yet? How can I keep giving when gas is double? 
And I see, oh, it closed on Friday at almost $110 a barrel. You know, we're going to be paying 10 bucks a gallon here in a minute. I don't hear that from the Macedonians. They're taxing us blind. There's wars going on. We've got robbers going on. The Jews hate us. The Gentiles hate us. Uh, they want us out of town. They want us dead. They are crushing us every time we turn around. And hey, let's sell a little more and send it to those who are suffering in Jerusalem. It's amazing stuff. That's amazing stuff. But they understood the grace of God. They gave. Why? They are what I classify as devoted believers. Why? They had read. Remember, the Philippians got the letter from Paul. And God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory and in Christ Jesus. And they just sit there and go, okay, it's just no different than giving a little loaf of bread to a war-torn orphan and saying, here, you'll have this in the morning. Devoted. The devoted believer who says the biblical view of giving is that I will live above my circumstances. And the Macedonians pass this with an A++. hardship that they were enduring they never indwelled on it to themselves and says poor pitiful me their hardship had no effect on their giving they gave generously they gave sacrificially they gave out of their poverty in spite of their poverty there was no here's the key no thinking about themselves I read a verse one time. I'll ask you if you can think about where it's at. Consider others more important than yourselves. Anybody want to take a shot at which letter that's in? You think maybe it's one of the churches in Macedonia? It's the Philippians. It's the Philippians. The Philippians did that. The Thessalonians did that. The Bereans did that. We consider others more important than ourselves. And this is amazing. You know what? You know what is really amazing about this? They had never met one of these saints in Jerusalem. Hadn't met them. Hadn't met them. Paul said they're saints. Sign us up. Yet, selflessly... Out of their poverty, out of their distress, they sacrificed for a people that they had never met. You know, we do a lot of things in Russia. We do a lot of things in India. We do a lot of things in Myanmar, right? But you know what? In every one of those cases, well, you guys haven't met the Russians. I've met the Russians. You've met Pastor Paul. He's been here. He spoke here. You've met Pastor Philip. He's been here. He spoke here. We know who they are. We know what their character is. We've seen them. We see their fruits. They hadn't seen anything of the Jerusalem saints. There was a cry out from the body of Christ to help us. 
And Paul brought that message. And Paul had underlying motives. I'll agree. Why? The wall has been torn down, he told the church in Ephesus, that now Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. And the Jews still had some sticky issues with it. Remember the Apostle Paul in Galatians said, I had to confront Peter. Because he's hanging out with the Gentiles. A bunch of Jews showed up and he quit hanging out with the Gentiles. And I had to confront Peter. So you still have that mindset sitting there. Now all of a sudden you've got a bunch of needy Jewish believers and they are hurting and the Gentiles are stepping up in sacrificial generosity to help their Jewish brothers and sisters. Cry went forward. They had never seen these people. They had never met these people. And yet they understood that they were only helping the body of Christ. That's what a devoted Christian does. He helps the body of Christ. How is that? How is that? We dealt with that last week. God's grace in control of their life. You back away and say, look what God has done for me. I've told people that before and you've, you've, some of you have heard me say it. If God never gave you one thing but eternal salvation... What can you complain about? And yet, if you think about it, I remember talking with Pastor Paul one time, and I said, I believe that the only way, because he says, have you prayed for revival in this country? And I said, every day. And I said, but I believe that the only way that this country will ever find revival is if, if there is an e- economic catastrophe. And now, listen, I'm not talking about the 2008 recession. I'm talking complete collapse. Okay, because that's where we're comfortable. And once you get us out of that, all of a sudden we're going to cry for help. We get, hey, listen, when they attacked us on 9-11, we were all shocked. A week later, what was our response? Give us a target. Find me somebody to blow up. That was our response. It didn't affect us. I live in Colorado. That's the East Coast. Same thing happens with hurricanes and tornadoes. If you're in the middle of it, you're, oh my God, is it? And not really. FEMA be here. I'll get my generator. I'll get some cash. I'll get a low interest loan. It'll be fine. A little uncomfortable for a while. But you've got helicopters dropping water bottles out of the sky. Okay? I can take a month off of work. Nobody cares. And they'll still pay me. But you, sh- you hit this country financially, you will get its undivided attention. And there may, be, there may be a revival. I really believe that. I don't know any other way. Because all the rest of it, we can fix. I remember telling Pastor Paul that. You know what he said to me? I can't pray for that. What? I thought you wanted to pray for a revival. So I can't pray for that. He says, you're the only country on the globe that has the resources to get the gospel to every man, woman, and child on the planet. Good point. That's what I told my Russian brothers. I'm trying to get you guys saved, built up, and strong so when we collapse, you can send me money. (laughs) I got a plan. When God's... Grace is in control of your life. You will give generously. You will give sacrificially. And you know what? 
even in the worst of circumstances, it will not hinder their devotion to Christ. Whether it is the great ordeal, which is the fire testing the metal, or whether it is, which can be inner. You know, I was talking to a guy the other day. He says, he's telling me all the bad things about church. He doesn't go to church because all the bad things. He has a list. And I just smiled at him. I said, well, here's the deal. I said, the church is like Noah's Ark. And he says, uh, what's that? And I said, stench inside is awful, but it's not as bad as the storm outside. Okay. In the worst of circumstances, whether you have the affliction of physical suffering, mental anxieties, spiritual crushing, or whether it is the fires that test your metal, the world can bring against you. Whether it is your own conflict or whether it is a conflict aided by others, no circumstance can stop a devoted Christian's giving because their devotion is to Christ and they understand that whatever they have, even if it's two mites, they understand that God has given it to them and He will use it for what He deems necessary. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in His glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, And if you don't believe me, put him to the test. Step up. See if he will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these churches in Macedonia and how you use them so magnificently. I thank you for my brother Paul. I thank you for all the precious saints In his day, I thank you for all the precious saints in this day. And Father, may we press on to the upward calling of Christ, understanding that we stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, that we understand the grace of God that has been given to the churches on the planet Earth. Father, may we rest in that assurance. Father, may we be as those little children. Give us a little loaf of bread so we know we have food in the morning. And then we will have peace and a confidence to give as the Macedonians gave. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you, most of all, for your precious bride, the body of Christ, your church. To your glory and praise, amen.